Section 27 of the Natural History, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Natural History, Volume 5, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 27. Book 25, Chapters 91 to 110. Chapter 91. Remedies for Diseases of the Eyes. It is generally thought that the greater centaury strengthens the sight if the eyes are fermented with it steeped in water, and that by employing the juice of the smaller kind, in combination with honey, films and cloudiness may be dispersed, marks obliterated, and small flies removed which have got into the eye. It is thought also that sideritis is curative of albugo in beasts of burden, as to Caledonia, it is marvelously good for all the affections above mentioned. Root of Panaces is applied with polenta to the fluxions of the eyes, and for the purpose of keeping them down, henbane seed is taken, and doses of one obelus with an equal proportion of opium in wine. Juice, too, of gentian is used as a liniment, and it sometimes forms an ingredient in the more active eye salves as a substitute for meconium. Euphorbia, applied in the form of a liniment, improves the eyesight, and for ophthalmia, juice of plantago is injected into the eyes. Aristolochia disperses films upon the eyes, and Iberus, attached to the head with syncophoil, is curative of defluxions and other diseases of the eyes. Verboscum is applied topically to defluxions of the eyes, and vervain is used for a similar purpose with rose oil and vinegar. For the treatment of cataract and dimness of sight, cyclaminus is reduced to a pulp and divided into lozenges. Juice, too, of pusedanum, as already mentioned, mixed with meconium and oil of roses, is good for the sight and disperses films upon the eyes. Cilian, applied to the forehead, arrests the fluxions of the eyes. Chapter 92 the anagallis, or corcoran, two varieties of it, six remedies. The anagallis is called corcoran by some. There are two kinds of it, the male plant with a red blossom and the female with a blue flower. These plants do not exceed a palm in height and have a tender stem with diminutive leaves of a rounded form drooping upon the ground. They grow in gardens and in spots covered with water, the blue anagallis being the first to blossom. The juice of either plant, applied with honey, disperses films upon the eyes, suffusions of blood in those organs resulting from blows, and argema with a red tinge. If used in combination with attic honey, they are still more efficacious. The anagallis has the effect also of dilating the pupil, hence the eye is anointed with it before the operation of couching for cataract. These plants are employed also for diseases of the eyes in beasts of burden. The juice, injected into the nostrils, which are then rinsed with wine, acts as a detergent upon the head. It is taken also, in doses of one drachma, in wine, for wounds inflicted by serpents. It is a remarkable fact that cattle will refuse to touch the female plant, but if it should so happen that deceived by the resemblance the flower being the only distinguishing mark, they have accidentally tasted it, 
they immediately have recourse as a remedy to the plant called acilla, but more generally known among us as ferrous oculus. Some persons recommend those who gather it to prelude by saluting it before sunrise, and then, before uttering another word, to take care and extract the juice immediately. If this is done, they say, it will be doubly efficacious. As to the juice of euphorbia, we have spoken of its properties at sufficient length already. In cases of ophthalmia, attended with swelling, it will be a good plan to apply wormwood beaten up with honey, as well as powdered betony. Chapter 93. The Egelops, Two Remedies. The fistula of the eye, called egelops, is cured by the agency of the plant of the same name, which grows among barley, and has a leaf like that of wheat. The seed is pounded for the purpose, and applied with meal, or else the juice is extracted from the stem and more pulpy leaves, the ears being first removed. This juice is incorporated with meal of three-month wheat, and divided into lozenges. Chapter 94. Mandragora, Circean, Morian, or Hippoflamus. Two varieties of it. Twenty-four remedies. Some persons, too, were in the habit of employing mandragora for diseases of the eyes, but more recently the use of it for such a purpose has been abandoned. It is a well-ascertained fact, however, that the root, beaten up with rose oil and wine, is curative of defluxions of the eyes and pains in those organs, and indeed the juice of this plant still forms an ingredient in many medicaments for the eyes. Some persons give it the name of Circean. There are two varieties, the white mandragora, which is generally thought to be the male plant, and the black, which is considered to be the female. It has a leaf narrower than that of the lettuce, a hairy stem, and a double or triple root, black without and white within, soft and fleshy, and nearly a cubit in length. Both kinds bear a fruit about the size of a hazelnut, enclosing a seed resembling the pips of a pear in appearance. The name given to the white plant by some persons is arson, by others morion, and by others again hippoflamus. The leaves of it are white, while those of the other one are broader and similar to those of garden lepathum in appearance. Persons, when about to gather this plant, take every precaution not to have the wind blowing in their face, and, after tracing three circles round it with a sword, turn towards the west and dig it up. The juice is extracted both from the fruit and from the stalk, the top being first removed, also from the root, which is punctured for the purpose, or else a decoction is made of it. The filaments, too, of the root are made use of, and it is sometimes cut up into segments and kept in wine. It is not the mandragora of every country that will yield a juice, but where it does, it is about vintage time that it is collected. It has, in all cases, a powerful odor, that of the root and fruit the most so. The fruit is gathered when ripe and dried in the shade, and the juice, when extracted, is left to thicken in the sun. The same is the case, too, with the juice of the root, which is extracted either by pounding it or by boiling it down to one-third in red wine. The leaves are best kept in brine. Indeed, when fresh, the juice of them is a baneful poison, and these noxious properties are far from being entirely removed, 
even when they are preserved in brine. The very odor of them is highly oppressive to the head, although there are countries in which the fruit is eaten. Persons ignorant of its properties are apt to be struck dumb by the odor of this plant when in excess, and too strong a dose of the juice is productive of fatal effects. Administered in doses proportioned to the strength of the patient, this juice has a narcotic effect, a middling dose being one cyathus. It is given, too, for injuries inflicted by serpents, and before incisions or punctures are made in the body, in order to ensure insensibility to the pain. Indeed, for this last purpose, with some persons, the odor of it is quite sufficient to induce sleep. The juice is taken also as a substitute for hellebore, in doses of two oboli in honeyed wine. Hellebore, however, is more efficacious as an emetic, and as an evacuant of black bile. Chapter 95. Hemlock. Thirteen Remedies. Hemlock, too, is a poisonous plant, rendered odious by the use made of it by the Athenian people, as an instrument of capital punishment. Still, however, as it is employed for many useful purposes, it must not be omitted. It is the seed that is noxious, the stalk being eaten by many people, either green or cooked in the saucepan. This stem is smooth, jointed like a reed, of a swarthy hue, often as much as two cubits in high, and branchy at the top. The leaves are like those of coriander, only softer and possessed of a powerful odor. The seed is more substantial than that of anise, and the root is hollow and never used. The seed and leaves are possessed of refrigerating properties. Indeed, it is owing to these properties that it is so fatal, the cold chills with which it is attended commencing at the extremities. The great remedy for it, provided it has not reached the vitals, is wine, which is naturally of a warming tendency. But if it is taken in wine, it is irremediably fatal. A juice is extracted from the leaves and flowers, for it is at the time of its blossoming that it is in its full vigor. The seed is crushed, and the juice extracted from it is left to thicken in the sun and then divided into lozenges. This preparation proves fatal by coagulating the blood, another deadly property which belongs to it, and hence it is that the bodies of those who have been poisoned by it are covered with spots. It is sometimes used in combination with water as a medium for diluting certain medicaments. An emollient poultice is also prepared from this juice for the purpose of cooling the stomach, but the principal use made of it is as a topical application to check the fluxions of the eyes in summer and to allay pains in those organs. It is employed also as an ingredient in eye salves, and it is used for arresting fluxes in other parts of the body. The leaves, too, have a soothing effect upon all kinds of pains and tumors, and upon the fluxions of the eyes. Anaxileus makes a statement to the effect that if the mammillae are rubbed with hemlock during virginity, they will always be hard and firm. But a better ascertained fact is that applied to the mammillae, it dries up the milk in women recently delivered. As also that, applied to the testes at the age of puberty, it acts most effectually as an antiphrodisiac. As to those cases in which it is recommended to take it internally as a remedy, I shall, for my own part, 
declined to mention them. The most powerful hemlock is that grown at Susa in Parthia, the next best being the produce of Laconia, Crete, and Asia. In Greece, the hemlock of the finest quality is that of Megara, and next to it, that of Attica. Chapter 96. Crethmus Agrius, One Remedy. Crethmus Agrius, applied to the eyes, removes room, and with the addition of polenta, it causes tumors to disappear. Chapter 97. Molybdena, One Remedy. Molybdena also grows everywhere in the fields, a plant commonly known as plumbago. It has leaves like those of lepathum, and a thick, hairy root. Chewed and applied to the eye from time to time, it removes the disease called plumbum, which affects that organ. Chapter 98. The first kind of capnus, known also as chicken's foot. One remedy. The first kind of capnus, known also as chicken's foot, is found growing on walls and hedges. It has very thin, straggling branches with a purple blossom. It is used in a green state, and the juice of it disperses films upon the eyes. Hence it is that it is employed as an ingredient in medicinal compositions for the eyes. Chapter 99. The Arborescent Capnus. Three Remedies. There is another kind of capnus also, similar both in name and properties, but different in appearance. It is a branchy plant, is extremely delicate, has leaves like those of coriander, is of an ashy color, and bears a purple flower. It grows in gardens and amid crops of barley. Employed in the form of an ointment for the eyes, it improves the sight, producing tears in the same way that smoke does, to which, in fact, it owes its name. It has the effect also of preventing the eyelashes, when pulled out, from growing again. Chapter 100. The Acheron or Agrian. Fourteen Remedies. The Acheron has leaves similar to those of the iris, only narrower and with a longer stalk. The roots of it are black and not so veined, but in other respects are similar to those of the iris, have an acrid taste and a not unpleasant smell, and act as a carminative. The best roots are those grown in Pontus, the next best those of Galatia, and the next those of Crete. But it is in Colchis, on the banks of the river Phasis, and in various other watery localities, that they are found in the greatest abundance. When fresh, they have a more powerful odor than when kept for some time. These of Crete are more blanched than the produce of Pontus. They are cut into pieces about a finger in length, and dried in leather bags in the shade. There are some authors who give the name of Acheron to the root of the oxymersin, for which reason also some prefer giving that plant the name of a Corian. It has powerful properties as a calorific and resolvent, and is taken in drink for cataract and films upon the eyes. The juice also is extracted and taken for injuries inflicted by serpents. Chapter 101. The Cotyledon. Two varieties of it. Sixty-one remedies. The Cotyledon is a small herbaceous plant with a diminutive tender stem and an unctuous leaf with a concave surface like that of the cotyloid cavity of the thigh. It grows in maritime and rocky localities, is of a green color, and has a rounded root like an olive. The juice of it is remedial for diseases of the eyes. There is another kind also of the same plant, 
the leaves of which are of a dirty green color, larger than those of the other, and growing in greater numbers about the root, which is surrounded with them just as the eye is with the socket. These leaves have a remarkably astringent taste, and the stem is of considerable length, but extremely slender. This plant is employed for the same purposes as the iris and azome. Chapter 102. The Greater Azome, also called Bufthalmus, Zuphthalmus, Stergethion, Hypogazon, Ambrosian, Amerimnon, Sedum Magnum, or Digitalis. 36 Remedies. The Smaller Azome, also called Erythales, Trithales, Chrysothales, Isoetes, or Sedum. 32 Remedies. Of the plant known as Isome, there are two kinds the larger of which is sown in earthen pots. By some persons it is known as Bufthalmus, and by others as Zuphthalmus, or else as Sturgithrin, because it forms an ingredient in the composition of filters. Another name given to it is Hypogeason, from the circumstance that it generally grows upon the eaves of houses. Some persons, again, give it the names of Ambrosian and Amerimnon. In Italy it is known as Sedum Magnum, Oculus or digitalis. The other kind of azome is more diminutive, and is known by some persons as erythales, and by others as trithales, from the circumstance that it blossoms three times in the year. Other names given to it are chrysothales and isoetes, but azome is the common appellation of them both, from their being always green. The larger kind exceeds a cubit in height, and is somewhat thicker than the thumb. At the extremity, the leaves are similar to a tongue in shape, and are fleshy, unctuous, full of juice, and about as broad as a person's thumb. Some are bent downwards towards the ground, while others again stand upright, the outline of them resembling an eye in shape. The smaller kind grows upon walls, old rubbish of houses, and tiled roofs. It is branchy from the root, and covered with leaves to the extremity. These leaves are narrow, pointed, and juicy. The stem is a palm in height, and the root is never used. Chapter 103. The Andrecli Agria, or Ilechebra, 32 Remedies. A similar plant is that known to the Greeks by the name of Andrecli Agria, and by the people of Italy as the Ilechebra. Its leaves, though small, are larger than those of the last-named plant, but growing on a shorter stem. It grows in craggy localities, and is gathered for use as food. All these plants have the same properties, being cooling and astringent. The leaves, applied topically, or the juice in form of a liniment, are curative of defluxions of the eyes. This juice, too, acts as a detergent upon ulcers of the eyes, makes new flesh, and causes them to cicatrize. It cleanses the eyelids also of viscous matter. Applied to the temples, both the leaves and the juice of these plants are remedial for headache. They neutralize the venom also of the phalangium, and the greater azom, in particular, is an antidote to aconite. It is asserted, too, that those who carry this last plant about them will never be stung by the scorpion. These plants are curative of pains in the ears, which is the case also with juice of henbane, applied in moderate quantities, of achillea, 
of the smaller Centauri and Plantago, of Pusidenum in combination with rose oil and opium, and of Acheron mixed with rose leaves. In all these cases, the liquid is made warm and introduced into the ear with the aid of a syringe. The cotyledon is good, too, for suppurations in the ears, mixed with deer's marrow made hot. The juice of pounded root of abalum is strained through a linen cloth and then left to thicken in the sun. When wanted for use, it is moistened with oil of roses and made hot, being employed for the cure of imposthemies of the parotid glands. Vervain and plantago are likewise used for the cure of the same malady, as also sideritis mixed with stale axle grease. Chapter 104. A Remedy for Diseases of the Nostrils. Aristolochia mixed with cypress is curative of polypus of the nose. Chapter 105. Remedies for Diseases of the Teeth. The following are remedies for diseases of the teeth. Root of panaces chewed, that of the Chironian in particular, and juice of panaces used as a collatory, root too of henbane, chewed with vinegar and root of polymonia. The root of plantago is chewed for a similar purpose, or the teeth are rinsed with a decoction of the juice mixed with vinegar. The leaves, too, are said to be useful for the gums when swollen with sanious blood, or if there are discharges of blood therefrom. The seed, too, of plantago is a cure for abscesses in the gums and for gum boils. Aristolochia has a strengthening effect upon the gums and teeth, and the same with vervain, either chewed with the root of that plant or boiled in wine and vinegar, the decoction being employed as a gargle. The same is the case also with root of syncophoil, boiled down to one-third in wine or vinegar. Before it is boiled, however, the root should be washed in sea or salt water. The decoction, too, must be kept a considerable time in the mouth. Some persons prefer cleaning the teeth with ashes of syncophoil. Root of verbascum is also boiled in wine, and the decoction used for rinsing the teeth. The same is done, too, with hyssop and juice of pusidanum mixed with opium, or else the juice of the root of anagallis, the female plant in particular, is injected into the nostril on the opposite side to that in which the pain is felt. Chapter 106. Erigeron, Pappus, Acanthus, or Senesio. Eight Remedies. Erigeron is called by our people Senesio. It is said that if a person, after tracing around this plant with an implement of iron, takes it up and touches the tooth affected with it three times, taking care to spit each time on the ground, and then replaces it in the same spot so as to take root again, he will never experience any further pain in that tooth. This plant has just the appearance and softness of Trixago, with a number of small reddish-colored stems. It is found growing upon walls and the tile roofs of houses. The Greeks have given it the name of Erigeron, because it is white in spring. The head is divided into numerous downy filaments, which resemble those of the thorn, protruding from between the divisions of the head. Hence it is that Callimachus has given it the name of Acanthus, while others again call it Pappus. After all, however, the Greek writers are by no means agreed as to this plant. Some say, for instance, that it has leaves like those of rocket, while others maintain that they resemble those of the rober, only that they are considerably smaller. Some again assert that the root is useless, while others aver that it is beneficial for the sinews, 
and others that it produces suffocation if taken in drink. On the other hand, some have prescribed it in wine for jaundice and all affections of the bladder, heart, and liver, and give it as their opinion that it carries off gravel from the kidneys. It has been prescribed also by them for sciatica, the patient taking one drachma in oxymel after a walk, and has been recommended as extremely useful for gripping pains in the bowels, taken in raising wine. They assert also that used as an element with vinegar, it is wholesome for the thoracic organs, and recommended to be grown in the garden for these several purposes. In addition to this, there are some authorities to be found which distinguish another variety of this plant, but without mentioning its peculiar characteristics. This last they recommend to be taken in water, to neutralize the venom of serpents, and prescribe it to be eaten for the cure of epilepsy. For my own part, however, I shall only speak of it in accordance with the uses made of it among us Romans, uses based upon the results of actual experience. The down of this plant, beaten up with saffron and a little cold water, is applied to deflections of the eyes. Parched with a little salt, it is employed for the cure of scrofulous sores. Chapter 107. The Ephemeron, Two Remedies. The ephemeron has leaves like those of the lily, but smaller, a stem of the same height, a blue flower, and a seed of which no use is made. The root is single, about the thickness of one's finger, and an excellent remedy for diseases of the teeth, for which purpose it is cut up in pieces and boiled in vinegar, the decoction being used warm as a collatory. The root, too, is employed by itself to strengthen the teeth, being inserted for the purpose in those that are hollow or carious. Root of Caledonia is also beaten up with vinegar and kept in the mouth. Black hellebore is sometimes inserted in carious teeth, and the decoction of either of these last-mentioned plants in vinegar has the effect of strengthening loose teeth. Chapter 108. The Labrum Venarium, One Remedy. Labrum Venarium is a name given to a plant that grows in running streams. It produces a small worm, which is crushed by being rubbed upon the teeth, or else enclosed in wax and inserted in the hollow of the tooth. Care must be taken, however, that the plant, when pulled up, does not touch the ground. Chapter 109. The Batrachian Ranunculus or Strumus. Four varieties of it. Fourteen remedies. The plant known to the Greeks as Batrachian we call Ranunculus. There are four varieties of it, one of which has leaves somewhat thicker than those of coriander, nearly the size of those of the mallow, and of a livid hue. The stem of the plant is long and slender, and the root white. It grows on moist and well-shaded embankments. The second kind is more foliated than the preceding one. The leaves have more numerous incisions, and the stems of the plant are long. The third variety is smaller than the others, has a powerful smell, and a flower of a golden color. The fourth kind is very like the one last mentioned, but the flower is milk-white. All these plants have caustic properties. If the leaves are applied unboiled, they raise blisters like those caused by the action of fire. Hence it is that they are used for the removal of leprous spots, itch scabs, and brand marks upon the skin. They form an ingredient also in all caustic preparations, and are applied for the cure of allopathy, care being taken to remove them very speedily. The root, if chewed for some time, in cases of toothache, 
will cause the teeth to break. Dried and pulverized, it acts as a sternutatory. Our herbalists give this plant the name of strumus, from the circumstance of its being curative of strumous sores and inflamed tumors, for which purpose a portion of it is hung up in the smoke. It is a general belief, too, with them, that if it is replanted, the malady so cured will reappear, a criminal practice for which the plantago is also employed. The juice of this last-mentioned plant is curative of internal ulcerations of the mouth and the leaves and root are chewed for a similar purpose, even when the mouth is suffering from defluxions. Sinkafoil effects the cure of ulcerations and offensive breath. Cilian is used also for ulcers of the mouth. Chapter 110. Remedial Preparations for Offensive Breath. Two kinds of them. We shall also here make mention of certain properties for the cure of offensive breath, a most noisome inconvenience. For this purpose, leaves of myrtle and lentisk are taken in equal proportions, with one-half the quantity of Syrian nutgalls. They are then pounded together and sprinkled with old wine, and the composition is chewed in the morning. In similar cases, also, ivy berries are used, in combination with cassia and myrrh, these ingredients being mixed in equal proportions with wine. For offensive odors of the nostrils, even though attended with carcinoma, the most effectual remedy is seed of the contium, beaten up with honey. An application of hyssop has the effect of making bruises disappear. Brand marks in the face are healed by rubbing them with mandragora. Summary Remedies, Narratives, and Observations, 1292 Roman authors quoted Gaius Valgius, Pompeius Linnaeus, Sexius Nigger, who wrote in Greek, Julius Bassus, who wrote in Greek, Antonius Castor, Cornelius Celsus, Fabianus. Foreign authors quoted. Theophrastus, Apollodorus, Democritus, Juba, Orpheus, Pythagoras, Mago, Menander, who wrote the Biocresta, Nicander, Homer, Hesiod, Musaeus, Sophocles, Xanthus, and Axileus. Medical authors quoted. Nesitheus, Callimachus, Phanius the physician, Timaristus, Simus, Hippocrates, Chrysippus, Diocles, Ophelian, Heraclides, Hysesius, Dionysus, Apollodorus of Citium, Apollodorus of Tarentum, Praxagoras, Plistonicus, Medius, Diuchis, Cleophantus, Philistian, Asclepiades, Cratinus, Petronius Diodotus, Iolus, Erisistratus, Diagoras, Andreas, Nisides, Epicaramus, Damian, Sosimenes, Phlepolemus, Metrodorus, Solon, Lycus, Olympias of Thebes, Philinus, Patricus, Micton, Glossius, Xenocrates. End of section 27. End of the Natural History, volume 5, by Pliny the Elder, translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley.